this pessimistic-like behavior, it's found to predict whether or not people are going to have depressive-like symptoms in the future. And it is a major symptom of depression. Hey everyone, welcome to Nerdin' About. I'm Space Michael, and with me as always is someone who, as she gets ready for Halloween, is probably going to be dressing up as uh, perhaps a splinter, the leader <laughs> of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and that would be Dr. Kaylee Byers. Oh, that's so, so funny that you mentioned that because our previous guest, uh, Sultan, used to call me a wise splinter <laughs> all the time. <laughs> so that's actually someone that I have wanted to go for Halloween for for quite some time. I think it's time. Did you did you dress up much when you were a kiddo? Oh yeah, absolutely. My favorite one was Sherlock Holmes. So my grandma, she took two baseball caps and uh, sewed them together to make that sort of like that double brim. And then she put a fabric over top of it. And then I had like this like suit and I had uh, a pipe that was made out of licorice. I was a very dorky kid. <laughs> <laughs> well, that sounds pretty fantastic. I would like it if you would also go maybe now as an adult as some rat themed character um, because today, oh my gosh, joy of joys. Today we're chatting with Dr. Travis Hodges. Travis is a neuroscientist and postdoctoral fellow at the Center for Brain Health at UBC, where he studies pessimism and optimism in rats. Travis, thanks for making the time for us on a weekend. I have to say, great, great costume choices for Halloween. <laughs> I haven't even thought of Halloween this year at all, but... In the past, I've loved dressing up for Halloween. Did you have a favorite a favorite costume? One of my favorites, and this isn't a plug or anything, is uh, on <laughs> Netflix. Uh, the TV show Merlin is on there. Ooh. And I have watched through Merlin. I love Merlin, even though it starts off pretty rocky in terms of effects and <laughs> special effects. <No. laughs> and it continues to be rocky throughout. But I love it very much. And I dressed up as one of the characters off of Merlin. And it was probably one of my best costumes. That sounds amazing. So, you know, we're reminiscing a little bit about some of our earlier uh, nerding out. I mean, everyone should have known that we were all going to grow up to be huge nerds. <laughs> but Travis, <laughs> today you are still a nerd, but you're a, a nerd neuroscientist whose work is focused on brain development and behavior in those early years of life when we're all dressing up. So why does this time frame of development interest you? So a lot of it came from when I did my master's and my PhD with Dr. Cheryl McCormick at Brock University. And her lab has a lot to do with social stress in adolescence. And of course, social stress in adolescent rats was my major project. At Nerd Night, when I gave a talk uh, for Nerd Night, I talked about how social stress in adolescence led to social awkwardness in rats and how I studied social awkwardness in rats and what brain regions were involved in social awkwardness in rats. <laughs> so I had to do a lot of research that involved comparing different age groups. And what I was finding is social stress in particular. Uh, adolescent rats are more susceptible to social stress, whereas there are other stressors that adults are more susceptible to and other stressors that both age groups are equally susceptible to. So I gained an interest in there are these different effects that occur depending on what age group you are studying, and those effects also change depending on the sex of the animal you are studying. So 
adolescent males versus females, there are differences versus adult males and females, there are differences. And I just like to incorporate looking at sex and age differences in all of the studies that I do now based on that fact. So which of those rats on the whole ends up being the most awkward? <laughs> uh, well, normally, well, when you're looking at the sex differences in them, the males and females were both kind of equally awkward due to social stress in adolescence. So they kind of gained that awkwardness. I didn't get to do too much longitudinal studies with the females, but with the males, that social awkwardness lasts and lasts and lasts um, <laughs> into later adulthood. And it then uh, compromises their ability to interact with individual other rats of the same age uh, for a long, long period of time when they get older. So definitely in males, uh, it affects our social awkwardness quite a bit. So that's really interesting. I, I want to ask one more question about social awkwardness. Yes, yeah. What does a socially awkward rat look like? Like if you're looking at what they're doing, how are what characteristics do you like? That is awkward. <laughs> yes, so it was actually not supposed to be the basis of my study. I was looking at social stress but I did not know that I was going to find that these rats would then, when you try to make them interact with each other physically, uh, they would not be able to interact physically with each other. But if you were to put up a safety net of some kind, like a wire mesh between them, they would interact a lot with each other uh, between oh. the wire net. So it's like they're able to interact when they know that they are feeling safe. Like, say, behind if humans, say, behind like a computer screen or something of the sort. Oh. They will interact quite a bit. But when it comes to actual physical interactions, they're not able to perform the correct interactions with their peers. And that lasts <laughs> all the way up into adulthood. So Travis, right now you're studying pessimistic and optimistic thinking yeah. rats. Uh, could you tell us first what pessimistic and optimistic thinking are? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I made the transition from social awkwardness in rats to optimism <laughs> and pessimism in rats in a way. Pessimism and optimistic thinking what I am studying is uh, cognitive biases. So whether someone is more positively cognitively biased or more negatively cognitively biased. And a lot of this is tied to, say, a phrase like, an example that I use all the time is, if someone were to say, that is an interesting shirt you have on, say, <laughs> on the street or from a friend, some people would take that in a positive way, uh, which is normally me. Uh, I have a very strong positive cognitive bias, and I don't know why. I always blame my mom because she smiles all the time and is very happy. <laughs> but other people have been finding that people with depression or anxiety disorders would take this uh, kind of phrase as more negative on average uh, compared to control groups that are not depressed or have anxiety disorders. And so what this research is looking at is this pessimistic-like behavior, it's found to predict whether or not people are going to have depressive-like symptoms in the future. And it is a major symptom of depression. And we're trying to find a way to reduce that symptom of depression to kind of prevent future depressive episodes. I, um, I'm remembering now as a, as a kid being like really worried when people would say, Michael, that's interesting, you know, <laughs> as like this way of like, you know, you're kind of a little bit off the rails here. Um, but now I think I've like leaned into that. And when people say that, I'm like, yeah, it is interesting. I am weird. I yeah. deal with it. <laughs> so Travis, so you studied awkwardness in rats with like the, with the wire meshes. So how do you study pessimism and optimism with rats? Yeah. So a lot of these studies involve 
training the rats to find a certain context or a situation as positive or them to recognize that that situation is positive and then training them to define another context that looks different from that first one as negative and then giving them a context that's a mix between the two and seeing do they respond like they are in the negative context or do they respond like they're in the positive context so do they automatically think uh, everything is fine or do they automatically think everything is horrible and this is going to end horribly <laughs> so when it comes to even my research uh, my negative context it involves things like differences in lighting so there'll be less lighting in it differences in the patterns of shapes and things on the walls but it also my negative context involves a mild foot shock and so they do not like a mild foot shock oh. and what they would normally do in response to that is freeze in anticipation of that foot shock because they do not want to be taken aback by <laughs> being foot shocked whereas in my positive context there is no foot shock they go into that context and they explore everything because they love exploration and they'll explore the whole entire context. And then I will give them a context that's a mix between the two. And some of the rats will freeze automatically into that context that's not linked to any foot shock at all, but looks a little bit like the foot shock one or the positive one. And other rats will remain very positive and just run around in circles and explore every inch of the place because they do not fear that anything wrong is going to occur. And I find sex and age differences in how they respond to that. It's really interesting. As someone who has trapped over 700 rats, all I can do is think about like the trapping scenario we would put out, which I always interpreted as negative, but then they also get like delicious peanut butter oat balls. Ooh. So maybe it's a mix, you know, yeah. like maybe they're interacting with this mixed environment. It could be a bit positive. Yeah. I mean, based on where you take them and how long they are in that kind of enclosed space, because they would probably prefer not to be in that enclosed space. <laughs> um, but if there's food involved, they love food. I've done a, another cognitive bias task with my rats that involved Cheerios, uh, <gasps> in which uh, one context, this one's a bit different. Uh, it was a smooth kind of ground that they would walk on. And if they walk on a smooth ground to the left, there would be a large reward of Cheerios. Mm -hmm. And if the ground was more coarse and the, it, to the right, there would be a small, like barely any kind of Cheerios uh, to the right. What's this like Tony Robbins? <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is what I do in my spare time. Uh, and I, I really love that study too. Uh, and then I would give them a flooring that's kind of between the two and see if they would go left or right. And would they anticipate that there's going to be a large reward or a smaller reward. And also finding that some rats automatically think there's going to be something great coming and some rats automatically think there's nothing that's going to be there. Um, in the apparatus that I had, they'd have to wait in like a, a spot before it would open up the frame so they could run out and either choose left or right. They would be running, trying to get through to get to the Cheerios before I would even begin the task. So they love Cheerios. It was, it was Honey Nut Cheerios, by the way. Oh, well, so. delightful. Rats after my own heart. A little bit of sugar in there. They love. So Travis, earlier you mentioned that, you know, you were, you were looking at optimism and pessimism in rats and that you were finding some differences from age and sex. So can you tell us a little bit about what you've found so far and the, the characteristics that make rats more likely to think negatively or positively? Yes, of course. This is the fun part that I've been thinking about all this time, especially in COVID-19. So I studied these rats males versus females, as well as rats that were adolescents versus rats that were in young adulthood. 
versus rats that were in middle age. And I was finding that in adolescence, both males and females are very, very, very positive, extremely positive, the most positive. <laughs> they have a strong positive cognitive bias. There is barely any negativity at all. Then when it comes to young adulthood, they get very negative. <laughs> they have a, a negative cognitive bias that occurs there. And then when it comes to middle age, the males continue to get even more negative into middle age whereas the females return to being as positive as they were in adolescence. Well, Travis, this is concerning to me specifically because this weekend I'm turning 43 and I'm wondering, am I in danger here? Like your study is showing that uh, in males, pessimism seems to be increasing. So am I just going to become the Simpsons headline, grandpa, old man yells at cloud? Like what does your research show for like beyond that, like is there is there hope for me? So I have been thinking about the same exact thing uh, <laughs> since finding this research finding multiple times and reading the human literature, which also finds that an increased negative cognitive bias with age, uh, especially in males, <laughs> in humans as well. So I've been thinking about this a lot. And there are always exceptions to the rule. Even in my groups, whereas the when in the adolescents are very, very positive, there are a couple of adolescents that are negative in that group. <laughs> realists. <laughs> Those are the realists. Um, yes, yeah, yeah. And they're all the same age, and they have all had very similar experiences. So for some reason, those two, well, those couple uh, rats are a little bit more negative than the rest. And I'm also very interested in why that's the case. But same thing with the young adult group. There are some rats that are more negative and some rats that are more positive. And in the middle-aged males, there are a couple, very few, the, there's so many that are negative that that kind of <laughs> washes over the positive one that might exist. But there is always kind of one or two that are still remain optimistic uh, in middle age, whereas the others all go down. So you could be that exception to the rule, um, especially if you take all the positivity in and kind of all the negative stressors that are around you, especially in COVID-19 times, all this negative stress, if it doesn't affect you as much, it should not lead to an increase in negative cognitive bias in you in particular. Michael, you're the, uh, you can be the outlier that drives all scientists bonkers when they try to analyze their data. <laughs> but the outliers that we also love and we're like, why did this occur? <laughs> well, it, it is interesting. And I do think about it a lot because in my job and in my public science communication, I do try to be an optimist when it comes to the future. But at the same time, like I still have moments within myself where I need to express some pessimism. And if I'm not doing it publicly, then maybe I need to do it with my friends and in like a safe space. <laughs> I feel the exact same way. I like being having a positive cognitive bias. And I would like to, to remain that way as much as I can get it to stay that way. It's always good to have a little bit of pessimism to every, all the goings-ons. Uh, you just don't want to fall into an area where everything that comes at you, you see as negative. And that would definitely put you on a trajectory towards having maybe uh, a depressive symptom coming along the way. Yeah. Definitely have to watch out for that. But a little bit of negativity, a little bit of positivity, I think it's fine. So Travis, so a paper that you sent us uh, talked about interpretive bias of ambiguous facial expressions in older adults with depressive 
uh, symptoms. And so basically what this paper was saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, was that older people that were depressed were interpreting facial expressions to be negative. And this got me thinking about emojis and how we use emojis a lot in our communication when, when we're texting, and, and they are also open to interpretation. Like I use one a lot is the the eyes are X'd out. And I'm not even too sure what exactly that emoji is supposed to mean, but I use it a lot of just like, whoa, that's crazy. Really? <laughs> I used that when I was like talking about how my thesis was killing me. Well, there's now the kind of thing where I would say in terms of if something is very, very funny, I would say I'm dead or something of the sort and put like the little skull mm. and crossbones or the X eyes. And that's to me in a positive thing. So there, there is those differences. There. So is there any connection to, to the, the research that you're doing with emojis as it is, you know, a, a digital interpretation of a facial expression? So definitely in the studies that involve facial expressions, they've been done in the study that I sent you in older adults, they've been done uh, in adolescents as well, and in young adults as well. And they're a great way to determine whether someone has a more negative or positive cognitive bias, because some people do see a slight smile uh, on a facial expression as something very uh, either sad or an kind of uh, twisted kind of complexion, uh, whereas others find it, oh, it's just a positive, nice little smile that they have. And that can tell you different things about the individual differences about that person. When it comes to emojis, if we were to do a study in which they had emojis to choose from, there are a lot of biases that come depending on the situation that those emojis are found in, which could wash away the results in a way. Uh, we'd have to somehow control for how do people normally use these emojis, uh, whether or not they use them in a more positive way or a more negative way, because that would result in biasing their results towards, mm -hmm. they'd find this negative, what we think is a negative emoji, as more negative, and <laughs> what we think is a positive emoji, maybe as more positive or more negative, depending on how they use it uh, normally in their life, in their daily life. But it could be done. It could be done. You could do an emoji study. So Travis, bringing everything together, one of the things is we're working on rats and you were talking about like there's some similarities in people. People have mentioned having similar experiences. But of course, like we're working with different organisms. What do you think are sort of the big implications of your work? Where would you like to see this work go? Yes. So at the moment, there's barely anything out there on negative cognitive bias. Well, what brain regions are involved in negative cognitive bias. And what they've been finding is even in those with remiss depression, so those that had depression now do not have depression, they still carry a negative cognitive bias way after they had those depressive symptoms. And carrying that negative cognitive bias can then result into more depressive symptoms. It can predict when they're going to have depressive symptoms coming back later on. So we haven't found a way to really reduce that negative cognitive bias in the long term. And so we're trying to figure out, to start, what mechanisms are involved in that negative cognitive bias so we can then reduce that negative cognitive bias and see what parallels we can make with the human literature and see if we can then use the same kind of treatments to reduce negative cognitive bias uh, in humans as well and then prevent future depression from occurring. That's the main goal uh, of my research. And to throw in the age and sex differences in there is to find a treatment that's very specific to a certain sex or a certain age group. 
because that can differ depending on how the brain has changed from across the lifespan or depending on sex. Are there areas of the brain that have been found so far that are particularly affected or by cognitive bias or the ones controlling cognitive bias? Yes, yes. Yeah, great question. So definitely the what we've been finding is two brain regions, the basal amygdala and the ventral hippocampus. And both of these brain regions working together, so the connectivity between them has been found to be involved in anxiety and into depressive-like symptoms and behaviors, and such that activating them can result in increased depressive-like symptoms or reduced depressive-like symptoms, depending on how old the rats are and what sex the rats are. And we're finding a similar thing in that, depending on age and sex, whether or not these two regions are activated at the same time will result in a more positive cognitive bias versus a more negative cognitive bias. And so we are kind of zooming in now, since we found uh, quite a bit of data to support this, on those two regions to figure out what is it about those two regions besides just how active they are. So what other roles of the neural system uh, play into cognitive bias based on those two brain regions. So we're focusing in on the amygdala and the hippocampus for sure when it comes to cognitive biases. Should we let the nerd herd ask some questions? Oh yeah, I've probably asked enough. We can let them ask some. <laughs> Why is the sky What's at the center of a black hole? When we evolve, does anyone have free will? Why is like carbon it's based? the fastest thing on Earth. Why do we keep pets? It's time for listener questions. All right. So if you want to get in on the Nerd Herd questions, uh, make sure to follow us on our socials at NerdNightYVR on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And our first question comes from previous guest, AJ, who asks, what impact does toxic positivity have on the brain? Yes, I saw this question uh, on the Instagram, which was great. Very interesting question. I have a little bit of data to speak to this coming from my, again, my adolescent group, my adolescent rats, in which I thought as going into the task, since the task involved a mild foot shock, I at first thought that none of the rats were going to display a positive cognitive bias. I thought they would all be negative because the contexts are all so similar. They look very much alike that I thought they would never be fooled into thinking that the mixed context had nothing to do with the previous context paired with the foot shock. And boy, was I wrong. Those adolescents, <laughs> even though they experienced that one context paired with a foot shock multiple days, they went into this new context thinking everything's great. They would run around. Nothing was wrong. They had no freezing behavior at all. They're just running in circles, sniffing everything, licking everything, and just, just acting like everything is fine. <laughs> Living the dream. Living the dream, which I don't know if it's a dream. <laughs> But it's definitely something that occurs in adolescence in that they are a bit more risky and that they aren't they didn't quite take in that negativity like the older rats did. And whether or not that's a good or a bad thing, this could lead to uh, trying new things in adolescence, which is a great thing to do and a great time to do it before a lot of the <laughs> cons of adulthood come into play. Great to try new things in adolescence. But increased risky behavior can also lead to a lot of bad experiences, say that if they went into this new context, thought everything was fine, and it wasn't. So it can result in uh, negative occurrences later on. So it's always good to have a little bit of positivity, but not pure positive cognitive bias in that all situations you find yourself in, you're going to think 
this is going to be great no matter what, and not even look around to see if there's something negative that's going to occur. Okay, and we have another question. So this next question relates to sleep. So for everyone listening, if you haven't listened to our episode with sleep researcher Rakib Tespe in episode 13, you should go back and have a listen to that. But Russ asks, what role does sleep play in allowing the brain to better process positivity or negativity? Yes, and I did listen to that episode with Rakib, and I found it very interesting. So I have, so I haven't looked at the sleep in the study specifically in humans poor sleep quality does result in increased negative cognitive bias. So there is a tie there and that resulting negative cognitive bias can then be linked to maybe future depressive episodes that occur later on. And whether or not they go in one way or versus the other versus the depressive episodes resulting in then a negative cognitive bias um, is still unclear. But it would be very interesting to look, especially in my animals, to see what their sleep quality is like. Rat sleep quality is very different from human sleep quality uh, in that they sleep at, well, they sleep during the light cycle for one, but also during that light cycle, they are waking up every, it can be anywhere between 10 to 50-ish minutes to eat and do things and then go back to sleep. And they have kind of like micro sleeps that they keep going back and forth into. All of these rats that I've worked with for the study have should have disrupted sleep because all the studies were conducted during the light cycle for multiple days in a row. So it would be interesting to see if their sleep quality, uh, in addition to me taking them to that apparatus to do the procedures, whether their sleep quality is also affected when they go back home to their home cage with their cage partner that they're with, and if that has a correlation with how negative they are. But I will say that all the rats went through the same exact procedure, and the adolescents, even with their lack of sleep, are still super positive. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't seem to be doing much to those adolescent uh, rats, even if it has an effect on the negative cognitive biases. You want to nerd out? I would love to nerd out. Travis, you want to nerd out? Yes, yes, for sure, for sure. What you nerding about? What you nerding about? So if you want to get on the nerd outs, also get us on our socials at NerdNightYVR, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, or you can even email us, Vancouver at NerdNight.com. And our first nerd out came from Albert, who is nerding out about epidemiology. Now, Travis, you know, we're in this COVID time, and are you optimistic or pessimistic that people are learning more about epidemiology in this time when we're all dealing with something collectively right now? I am. COVID-19 has been a test <laughs> of the positivity, for sure. Um, a lot more negative bias coming into play. And I feel like that's probably true for a lot of people. A lot of people are probably experiencing depressive episodes for the very first time Mm. during COVID-19. And so um, very important to look at this. Uh, What are you nerding out about, Travis? Oh, my. Well, a bunch of things. I love bad movies. I've said this on my Twitter. I've said this everywhere. I love bad (laughs) movies a lot. Cats is amazing with friends. (laughs) Do not watch it alone. All of you out there, please do not watch it with friends. It is a great experience if you watch with friends. Uh, but also, because of the time that we're in and close to Halloween-ish times, um, I do have some nerd-out kind of horror things that I 
love to watch around this time uh, that involve Netflix shows such as The Haunting of Hill House, which I really love. Loved it from last time. I've watched The Haunting of Bly Manor. Um, <gasps> so good. As well. Love mm-hmm. that as well. But do love Hill House even more. So definitely catch that. Uh, but a third one is a TV show called Marianne oh. uh, that came out last year, a horror TV show, which the last episode of that show has imagery in it that has stayed with me forever. And if you want something horror-based that is also kind of a fun ride, Marianne is a good show to check out. Very cool. I actually also really liked both uh, Haunting of Hill House and Bly Manor. And I also just watched, I don't watch a lot of horror things. Like usually Halloween comes around and I watch Hocus Pocus and like Practical Magic and (laughs) Nightmare Before Christmas. And those are, those are my go-tos. But I watched, um, was it uh, Cabin in the Woods? Oh, yes. And that was sort of like a very different take on the classic horror movie, which I I quite enjoyed it actually. Have you seen it? I really enjoy that movie. Yeah. watched it for the first time maybe a couple years ago and yes i really enjoy that movie as well yeah it is good have you seen it michael uh oh yeah came well watched it in the theater uh fantastic yeah you're right i also watched it when it came out i didn't just watch it (laughs) three days ago (laughs) michael what are you nerding about you nerding about uh bad movies bad tv i am actually well it's interesting that the last movie that i watched in the theater was cats with a bunch of my friends and it's weird that that's like the last memory i have of going to a movie theater (laughs) (laughs) that really should have been the giveaway about what was going to be coming down the pipe (laughs) there are memes out there saying that cats caused COVID-19 and I love it I love it all but what I've been nerding out about uh, this week has been uh, asteroids there is a mission NASA sent a spacecraft that has been orbiting around an asteroid and just the other day they actually did this tag event a touch and go and collected samples of this asteroid. OSIRIS-REx is actually a really cool name. It is an acronym that pulls together everything that the spacecraft does. So it's origins, spectral interpretation, resource identification, security, regolith explorer. And OSIRIS is an Egyptian god that is the god of agriculture. And so like the spreading of uh, the seeds, uh, fertility, you know, with asteroids uh, potentially brought life here to our planet originally. But also Osiris has a dual role as the god of the underworld, which mirrors the destruction, you know, that a large asteroid could have on our lives. Mm-hmm. And so... I have this cosmic perspective, and if anyone wants to go onto my socials, Michael John Unger, and see sort of how I've kind of mirrored asteroids to humans and their self-reflection. And I think the importance of why we go out into the solar system, you know, why would we want to go to an asteroid? Why do we need to understand that rock? Well, because it helps us understand Earth better. And as humans, I think that well, as even as adults, I think that it's really important for us to do, you know, some of that self-reflection even more as we get older, you know, because there's this danger of us becoming more pessimistic. But you know, we're still evolving. And this particular asteroid, Bennu, is actually more like a rubble pile. Like it's not like a solid rock. It's sort of it had been impacted and all of the pieces kind of came back together to form this new piece. And I think, you know, you can imagine as humans, we have these big impacts that uh, happen in our lives. And if they happen when we're older, you know, that 
impact changes us in some way. And I think it's important for us to encourage self-reflection, you know, even in our older adult years, because we can learn something uh, new about ourselves. And I think that's really important. Absolutely. Kaylee, what have you been nerding about? You know what? I'm actually kind of also nerding out about Osiris. Travis, I don't know (laughs) if your eyes popped the same way mine did. So I'm constantly in a state of nerding out about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And I just found out that Travis is also a huge Buffy fan, stan, whatever. Love, 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 love Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Everything about it favorite series. Both obsessed. And it's so funny that you just mentioned Osiris, Michael, because right now I'm nerding out about season six, which actually features the urn of Osiris. So when you get there, you will have a light bulb moment. I'm still on um, season three. So just be careful. I just want to say that I've made it through TNG a lot faster than you. So you really need to pick up the pace. (laughs) So I'm nerding out about season six, Buffy. I love, actually, season six is my favorite season. I know, that's a hot take. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good season. It is a good season. It's actually very in line with today's conversation around pessimism and optimism. And so I'm I'm about to spoil some things. Michael doesn't have a choice, but if you're listening right now and you are going through it for the first time and you don't want to have it spoiled... Turn it off, come back in when you've got like 30 seconds at the end of the episode. So I'm I'm nerding out about season six. I love this podcast called uh, Buffering the Vampire Slayer. Travis also listens to Buffering the Vampire Slayer. Yes, I do. And there's there's a live watch today. And I was thinking like today I get to watch Buffy and I get to talk about rats, which are my two favorite things. An amazing day. The best day. And then I thought maybe... I would have like, I would love to talk to Travis as this nerd out a little bit about a crossover between Buffy, rats and optimism, pessimism. So (laughs) I made Michael watch season three episode. What is it? 11 gingerbread. Mm -hmm. And in that episode, one of the characters, Amy, becomes a rat. (laughs) She transforms herself into a rat. And then, you know, three seasons later in season six. Oh, my gosh. It took so oh long. Oh my God, I know. Poor Amy. It, like Willow is amazing at magic, but somehow it took her forever to get Amy out of rat rat Amy. <laughs> so hilarious that. I feel like a lot of people talking about that too. They're like, she can do all these things, but Amy's still a rat. <laughs> <laughs> Amy, Amy's a rat. Amy is no longer a rat somewhere season six. And Amy is not the Amy that we remember Amy being. I mean, she, she seems well enough adjusted for having been a rat, but we learned that Amy has has a darkness that Amy did not have before. And so I'm wondering, Mm -hmm. were there any signs in Amy the rat that Willow could have looked at to know (laughs) that maybe she should just leave Amy as rat Amy? That is so interesting. Like really and truly, because Amy the rat had so much, she actually had quite a bit of enrichment in her cage. Like not all rats have so much enrichment and things that they can do in their cages. <laughs> Normally that would equal out into being more positive later on. But what Amy the rat also had was the fact that she used to be a human. Mm-hmm. And so she had a grudge that she held with her. And so I feel like that grudge, even with the environmental enrichment that would normally lead to a happy rat, made her become what she ends up being when she resurfaces from being a rat. This is a hilarious conversation that I've never thought about. Uh, Well, Travis, thank you so much for joining us uh, today on Nerdin' About. If people want to learn more about uh, you and your research, uh, where can people go? Yes, so I post, uh, I like to retweet a lot on Twitter at Travis E. Hodges. 
Um, I'm also a part of the organization known as the Women's Health Research Cluster, in which we emphasize the importance of including sex differences in research, because a lot of research focuses on males, especially adult males, and we do a lot of talks about uh, sex differences in health research and why it's important to measure all of these things in different sexes, as well as, for me, different age groups. I have a lot of talks with that organization as well, in which I talk about age differences and how special uh, they are. And that can be found at womenshealthresearch.ubc.ca to get a lot more information on that. Amazing. Definitely go follow both the research group and go follow Dr. Travis Hodges. And thank you everybody so much for listening. It's such a treat to spend our time with you. I literally had the best time learning about rats and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. If you want to follow us, you can follow us on our socials at NerdNightYVR. You can like and subscribe to this podcast and that certainly helps us engage with more folks. And that's our last full-length episode for what is season one of Nerdin' About. We'll still be back in a couple of weeks with a bit of a wrap-up on season one, and then we'll be taking a bit of a break to get prepped for season two. But until we meet again, reward yourself with some Cheerios. Honey Nut Cheerios. Honey Nut. <laughs> 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 <laughs>